Uh, it's been an interesting week for all sorts of reasons. Some I can go into, some I can't, but uh, it's been a very challenging week. But this life, you know, these days, it's full of challenge, isn't it? And I was talking to Roger Chisnell, one of our members here, who's very um, active in a variety of justice issues. He's the chairman, well, joint chairman of Jubilee Debt Campaign, and we know Roger well, and uh, he has spent quite a lot of time over the last week or two down at St. Paul's, and, and I will say it because he wouldn't, and nobody else quite frankly will say it. God has just given him remarkable grace to be an an intercessor. Now, I don't just mean a prayer, and he is a prayer, but he has been going between the cathedral, St. Paul's Cathedral chapter, the anti-greed protesters, because essentially, I mean, there's that's something we could spend some time talking about. What, what are the protesters standing for? It's, it's essentially the umbrella thing is anti-greed. And various, and the police and various other people, and he has been working with others, but very, very much in the center of the negotiations of, of what was looking very ugly. And at one point, there was talk of, of police actually moving in, and that could have got very ugly. But Roger is not here this morning, so I don't know whether he'll hear this on the, on the uh, podcast, but he has been doing a fantastic thing. And I've been talking to him and trying to understand what's going on there. And, and one of the things that I said about him, said to him, which quite frankly was, was something I just picked off from the radio and the press, was that people weren't very clear about what the anti-protesters were protesting about. I mean, there was a whole raft of, of sort of um, alliances forming, which one might say might be good or bad, whatever your position is, but the, the, the sort of overriding banner statement is that it's an anti-greed campaign. But, you know, that got me thinking because I had already intended this Sunday, as I've sort of flagged once or twice, to start talking about this thing we call the gospel. Now, if you're visiting the church for the first time or not, or you're not a regular or just passing through, you know, gospel is a word that Christians, I hope, understand, but you may not understand it. I'm not being patronizing there. It's just not part of the sort of you know, the normal vocabulary of, of our society. Gospel simply means good news. And, and, and I'm going to be unpacking a little bit over the next few weeks about what is at the heart of this good news. And there's a very good reason for that. Another thing that's been going on this week is, is the, you know, the toing and the froing and the all-night meetings around the Eurozone. And we thought we had a deal, and then the Greek... Prime Minister called for a, uh, a Greek president called for a referendum so that everybody could have a say, and there's there's all this toing and froing, and then then the, you know there's horror in, in in Brussels, and then there's the Prime Minister is called to Brussels, and then there's not going to be that, and then there's a void of confidence in the Greek. I mean, it's just so many voices, so many voices, and when things get tough, and let's you know there's no hiding it, things are tough. There are always lots of voices. There's a guy called Jim Collins who is a, a business guru and one of the better ones, and he talks about the way businesses, businesses decline, how they can, you know, the famous bell curve, and don't, don't roll your eyes back, but the famous bell curve, you know, an idea, an innovator, a Steve Jobs type comes along, great idea, whoosh, fantastic, then it really takes off, it goes global, and then it begins to peak, and then it begins to descend, but nobody sort of really is sort of, you know, engaged with that idea that things are actually beginning to go wrong, because we're all having such much fun, and yes, well, it's just a phase, and all the rest of it, and then it begins to tank, 
It begins to fall out the sky. And at that point, on the, on the, all sorts of things happen. Some companies just get in some crazy sort of, you know, you know, charismatic new guy and CEO and sort of hope that, you know, if we get really crazy about it, it might be sort of work it, you know. Others have various philosophies. Jim Collins says that at that point, if you're going to pull out of that kind of, you know, that death dive, you've got to go back to your core values. Those things that were great ideas at the beginning, the things that made you special. But then, actually, you kind of forgot because you grew up. Famous example of this for you guys who follow business and ladies who follow business and is, is, Steve, is uh, Charles, Howard Schultz, the Starbucks boss. He had an idea, it went great, he, he, he sold out, he went and did something else, the company began to tank and they called him back in and it was just crazy and he called them back to their core values. What, are, what makes us distinctive? What is the one thing that we're good at, that we are passionate about? Let's do that again. And in Starbucks' case, it didn't go splat, it took off again. Now, we, our society, Europe, the world, the church, has too many voices. And we need to say to ourselves, who or what is at the core of who we are? Let's celebrate that. Whatever our particular function in the body of Christ or in the kingdom of God or in business or in the world, let's all agree on this one thing. Because as, as we discover and rediscover and reaffirm the one thing, then we see revival. So that's essentially what I'm going to be looking at. A few sort of businessy sort of kind of illustrations there. Now, I don't know whether we're going to have any um, AV stuff this morning. I'm sorry, I had a bit of a problem. But uh, follow with me, and I'll try and uh, lead us through. So let's look then at Mark chapter 1. If you have a Bible, or if you have a BlackBerry or an iPhone, look with me at Mark chapter 1, first 15 verses. And one of the things that's interesting about this, and we'll see it as I go through, is that there are lots of voices. Lots of voices in Mark chapter 1. Mark's gospel or good news, or memoirs, whatever you care to call them, are a good place to start. Why? Because it's the first of the Gospels to be written. It's not the first piece of Scripture. The book of James is actually the first piece of Scripture. But Mark's Gospel is the first Gospel to be written, written by, guess who? Mark, John Mark. But it was dictated to him, so it is commonly believed, and I'm not, no, no great secret about this, it was dictated to him by the Apostle Peter. Yeah, the Peter. Peter, the founder of, you know, of the church, you know, Jesus' best mate when he wasn't having a bad hair day. So Peter dictated in, in the twilight years of his life his memoirs to Mark. It got written down, and we call it the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to just read these first 15 verses. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm going to pause there. You know, if we were to do a teaching right through Mark, we would go to all sorts of places and consider all sorts of related things. But what I love about this early gospel is that right from the beginning, he gives you a lens, what we call an interpretive key. 
And it's, bear this in mind. View what is about to happen through this lens. The beginning of the good news about Jesus. Not about the church, not about community, not about you know, getting my felt needs met. It's about Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That would be very meaningful if you were a Jewish reader. The Son of God. Not just a man blessed by God. Not just somebody who had been touched by God. Not by somebody who just came up with a good idea and God jumped on the bandwagon with it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He lays it out and he says, I want you to read this, what follows, through this lens. This is the interpretive key. One voice, one concept, one value. So then we read, and we're going to read the verse 15 verses. I'll read it through and then I'll curl back in and say one or two things. But if you like, count how many voices there are. There are a number of voices in these first 15 verses. The difference is they all lead up to a crescendo. And as I finish, you will hear and see what that crescendo is, okay? So, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to unstoop down and untie. And I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased." At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. And after John, the Baptist that is, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Wow, what a build-up. I don't know how many voices you counted there. I'm going to talk about two or three of them, but you know, there's, there's Isaiah the prophet, and we'll probably curl back and spend a week looking at that. I'm not sure yet. I'm still thinking about that one. There's John the Baptist, of course, and his message, a baptism of repentance, 
but he has, he, he's very aware, aware of his context. He's very aware that he is merely fulfilling that command to prepare the way for the Lord. And when people refer to him as the Messiah or make grandiose claims about his position, he's quick to say, no, you've missed it. It's not about me. It's about the one who is coming after me, whose sandals I am unworthy even to untie. Then you've got God the Father himself shows up and speaks a word, again, emphasizing that Jesus is God, the Son of God, his one and only begotten Son. Not just a blessed man, a holy man, or whatever. He is the Son. You are my Son. Hi, Son. Hello, Son. Well done, Son. The Father's voice. Then the Spirit makes a little appearance. Then the Spirit sent him out into the desert. We don't get the script there. We get, we get a, a visit from Satan, and Satan tempts him. And in fact, of course, in other passages, we get more of that dialogue. We may look at that over the next week, two or three weeks. And then there is Jesus himself. Finally, Jesus steps into center stage. And his message is, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus was all about fulfillment, not longing and looking forward. Living in the present. That was why, for those of you who are here, when I started the service, I said, Lord, whatever we are regretting about the past, whatever we're looking forward to about the future, Lord, let us this morning be in the present and I don't know about you, and I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. You know, I, I uh, still, and I'm grateful to God for it because I regard it as a gift, still when we're in worship, I can have moments of real passion and fervor, and I'm not putting an act on. I, 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 I am caught up in that. But also there's those other things, those kind of, you know, did I leave the oven on kind of moments. You know what I mean? I want to be in the present. I don't want to miss a moment of now. Why? Because this is a time of, of fulfillment. This 21st century moment, this is a time of the kingdom. I believe, and we've been praying uh, since early on in the year about revival, and over the 30-odd years I've been a minister, I have studied revival and preached on revival and prayed for revival, and towards the beginning of the year, we started talking about revival. I believe that we are in revival now. Now, church historians, in 100 years' time, if the Lord tarries that long, if they write up this revival, they may not say it began as early as we did, but you know, those people who are in revival will always say to you, well, I know, it's, I know there's thousands of people coming to Christ now, and you know, we're seeing you know, society transform, but it doesn't begin like that. It began with a few people in an upper room in Jerusalem, terrified that the, the, the think police, the, the temple police were going to smash down the door and they were going to be dragged up by the Romans and then the spirit fell upon them, changed and transformed them. As I, as I look around and as I see the way that 
As I, as I see the way that we're attending to prayer, as I see the way we're attending to issues of justice and the poor, as I see the way that people are coming forward to, to, to be baptized, as I see the way that, that we're beginning to sing, have you noticed that? You know, we've got such wonderful musicians here. We're so blessed by them. It's so easy just to chill back and let it flow over you. But increasingly, the singing is as loud as, if not louder, than the worship, which is saying something. It's a sign of revival. And then the other sign is that the church begins to do what church always was supposed to be, a worshiping community with a heart for the poor that lifts Jesus higher. Do you know what? Let's pretend we're Pentecostals. Don't shout hallelujah, because this will kill me if you do that. (laughs) She hates that kind of thing. But let's just say that little phrase, lift Jesus higher. Again, lift Jesus higher. You see... In the midst of all these contemporary voices, all these experts, they get wheeled out with monotonous regularity, commentators on this, commentators on that, commentators upon the economy. We need, as the church of Jesus Christ, to go back to our core values. Yes, we need to be attentive and involved in all these other things that we might be relevant that we might be contemporary, that we might understand the times and know what Israel should do, you know, like the men of Issachar. But this is a time to grip hold tightly to our core values. To say this, you know, that's good, and let me just say this, but this is what we need to hear. This is what the church of Jesus Christ needs to stand for. I'm just aghast, I just look at the time. Man, sorry, sorry. You know, in the 18th century, the last great revival we had here, we've had other revivals. The Hebridean revival, the Azusa Street revival, the revival that came out of Wales that spawned, spilled over into the west coast of America, which became the great... There's been many revivals. There's always revivals going on somewhere. But in England, the last great revival was in the 18th century. The 18th century. And some of you who know a little bit of history will know that about that time, we were on our absolute rock bottom in this nation. In fact, most social historians will say, had it not been for the sec- the, the, what they call the Second Evangelical Rising, if it had not been for that, we would have probably gone the way of France, and, we, and, and the revolution that was brewing over there would have taken place over here. We were on the same track Madame Guillotine in the middle of Trafalgar Square or whatever. But something different happened here. In the midst of all this, when the, when, you know, the, the church was, was frankly decadent, dry and dead, in the midst of all that, some people got fired up. Interestingly enough, one of Fliss's great, 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 great ancestral relatives was part of what they call the Holy Club, met in Oxford. George Whitfield, from the southwest of England, Bristol, Bath, that sort of area, was fired up. He started preaching. He was denied preaching in churches, so he preached in the fields. Wesley went along full of indignation. John Wesley, indi- just this was terrible. Preaching outside, how disgraceful, but was deeply impacted by what happened. And Wesley was coached by Whitfield. The rest, they say, is history. It began not just a religious revival, but an incredible social revival 
which took us on a completely different tangent. You, you, can, you can actually track back from the great Victorian age when you know, lots of good things happen as well as lots of bad things. Our imperialist and colonizing kind of attitudes to the rest of the world being one of them. But all of that sort of what we call Protestant work ethic, that, that you know, earning your living and making your way and paying your way and that innovation and the, the creativity, all of that was born out of a society that had been transformed by the revival of the 17th and the 18th and 19th centuries. This is a time when the church needs to come alive. This is a time when we need to press on in. This is a time when we need to hear voices Voices of Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before Christ, saying, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This is a time for us to get our act together so that the world can get its act together. We can't just huddle together, tutting about what's going on outside. Let it begin with us. Let revival and, re- and, and the, the, the new kingdom, the new world order that Christ heralds in, let's, let us work that out together. I'm already so proud of, and um, don't sound patronizing, the, of the leaders here who took care of, of the, you know, quietly, the roofing issue. What quality in those leaders? 56,000 that fund brought in with no thermometer against the world or anything. No thermometer on the outside of the church. The workers start next week. Wonderful. There's so much here that is, is ready, is ready now to burst into life. Because we're not looking forward anymore. Isaiah was looking forward wistfully. We are now in a time where Jesus has come, where the Spirit has been given, and the church of Jesus Christ, and I begin with me, needs to wake up. Awake, my soul. Why do you think the psalmist said that? Because he recognized that in him there was a kind of a slothfulness, an apathy. Oh, shall I make it to church? Oh, oh yeah, I should probably should. I'll feel guilty if I don't go to church. You know, I sometimes feel a bit guilty because I don't want to have a quiet time, but then I go and it's good, you know. It's preaching against myself. It's time for us to wake up and to embrace this. So in the middle of all these voices, all this good advice, and in Mark's gospel, many voices, but the difference is they're not pulling against one another, they are pulling together. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this passage I've read you finishes with Jesus pronouncing the gospel. There's some unpacking to do. But as far as Jesus and his message is concerned, whatever I thought it was about, whatever you thought it about, it's this. The time is now. Not whenever, if ever, so ever, or whatever. The time is now, says Jesus. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. Begin to live a life as if you believed it. So we're going to be unpacking, a bit of a cliche that word, isn't it? We're going to be looking at that. 
teasing out elements of it, about what God has done in Christ for us so that we can get fired up and excited about the gospel. So that when I say at the end of the service, and I've started doing this again, I used to do it every week for years, but I stopped doing it for whatever reason, I do not know. When I say at the end of the service, tell your friends about Jesus and bring them along, you'll want to do that. You'll be excited about that about what Jesus has brought into your life. Because believe me, believe him, the favor of God is upon us. And he's saying to us, come on, you are my beloved kids. I'm right here. I come forward to kiss. And I'm well pleased with you. Let's all stand and pray. Can I have the music team up? There was so much more I wanted to say this morning. Anyway. Let's just pray. You know, I just want to say, actually, before I pray and while the guys are coming up, if you've just joined the church, if, if this whole Christian thing is a new thing to you, or if this is something you're still considering and weighing up, and you, you should weigh it up, this will change your life, and you need to weigh that up. I want to say this, this is an exciting time to be a Christian, a challenging time, a time that calls for sacrifice and Hard work, I, I make no bones about it, but this is an exciting time to be a Christian. And I want to say to you, if, if, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet, if that's going a step too far, I, I would say to you, you know, the time is now. I would say to you, I would be so bold as to say this is a good day to be saved. I've been saying that the last few weeks. This is a good day to get on the right side of God through Jesus Christ our Savior. And I would encourage you, I wouldn't want to embarrass you, but I'd encourage you to go to my right, your left at the end of the service and just say, you know, this is all very new to me, but something inside me seems to resonate with what that bloke up there said. Can you just pray a blessing on me? I'd like to begin. It's a good day to get saved. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you that you have called us to be your followers, your people, your church at this time. It's no accident that we are here in this place, every single one of us, on this day, in this time. And you call us together to hear the one voice of the one God who is the one Savior and be your church. And everyone said,